Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season four, episode eight, titled The Nadir. Uh, Aaron, what'd you think of this? The low point? I don't know. The Nadir of, of Fargo season yeah. four? I thought it was a higher yeah, point was- than that, but... We've hit rock Fargo bottom here, baby. I don't. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell you. If you're looking for looking for flights of fancy from here, um, I I like this episode. I thought this episode was a lot better than the last two that were pretty uneven. Um, I do think it suffers from, like like you know, I'm on the internet. I see what people are saying on Twitter and on, on Reddit, and what people are writing in their professional reviews. Um, I'm not going to say that this works 100% mm-hmm. because I think they fucked up some of the foundational pieces that would have made this play off beautifully. Um, but, you know, at some point you kind of have to like declare fan bankruptcy or kind of get rid of your like, you know, when a show tries to do something, it doesn't quite do it, but then it's got to proceed from the standpoint as if it succeeded. Yeah. You either stop watching the show or you play along and be like, oh, okay. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that going on. It's that's that's the fucking up the fada side of the business. Um, everything else I think is is um, pretty much firing on all all cylinders. And I enjoyed the action sequences for what they were. Um, I thought the duel between Deffy and Loy Cannon in his r- living room was amazing and really entertaining to watch. Um, a great way for Timothy Oliphant to kind of go out on top as a weird, bizarro, racist Raylan Givens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, I thought it was, I was pretty good. And I, I also think that like, I'm starting to understand that like, this is less a season of Fargo than a morality play that, um, Holly's putting on about immigrants in America. Okay. And if, if you look at it from that perspective, I think it's it's pretty successful. How many people want to engage with it at that level? I, I don't know, but um, I, I'm, you know, so many people are going to be talking about this in a podcast or on this Wizard of Oz, you know, thing. But like to yeah. me, this is a this is a tale of like people coming to America and thinking they're Americans, not really wanting to talk about the fact that they displaced the original Americans, and then when newer Americans come and cause friction, then that's a that's a problem, and it's all about like you know again, what does it mean to be Americans, and all of the sides are represented, you know, immigrants, Native Americans, uh, the sons and daughters of, of former slaves brought here against their will. It's all the original white Anglo-Saxon, the original Americans, they're wondering here, you know, they, they crossed the land bridge back in the last ice age and, and settled the land. They're the ones, you know, it's like, it's, it's all the characters are there. And I think it's really interesting to analyze it from that standpoint. What did you think though? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, I found this episode to be much more enjoyable than the last couple. Um, if not purely for a couple of, of like keystone scenes, um, like that, that you know, Raylan Givens scene with uh, Timothy Oliphant, where he just you know goes in and, in my opinion, says something true about criminals. Um, I think he has like identified a very specific uh, trait of criminals, and uh, one that I probably agree with if I were to sit down and think about it. Uh, that whole scene is badass, including you know the quick draw that you were talking about before this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know going into the the shootout at the end of the episode. The the funny thing is you don't see 90% of it, right? Like you don't see the actual shootout right. part. Um, you see much right. more of the shootout in Gaetano and Josto's backyard, right? Um, th- than you oh, yeah. do in, in the train station there. So 
it's it's mostly implied but man it really works like when you when you see the aftermath you know uh and fargo does this a lot right they take these battles and, and i i had speculated that maybe they would do this at joplin's uh hardware or general store uh before the season was right. up and they might still um but you remember like a couple of shots where they would just show the exterior of a gun battle that was going on inside of a building right and sort of tracking that with blown out windows and things sure. like that. This feels like another one of those scenes where they don't show you the shootout. They just show you everything swirling around it. And that feels very Fargo to me, but it also feels very effective in like, I get it. I get a sense of chaos that maybe I might not, if I were grounded in the action. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really, really like those scenes. I'm still not sure how to feel about that Gatano stuff. Cause coming out of, it, a the shootout. I don't know how he runs these people off with two pistols, um, but the fact that he's like flipped here on what he thinks Josto has done, his opinion on Josto, right? Like this idea that Josto is somehow the mastermind, and you know he's smarter than Gatano, but that's not tough. Uh, yeah, Gatano doesn't have any mental processes going on other than like I'm angry. Let let me smash something. So. I think the show knows that, though, and the character that we do trust and mm-hmm. has a good head on his shoulders, like, every time they cut over to Ebel, he looks like yeah. he's about to he's swallow like, his tongue. Like, oh, God, this is, now they're, yeah. now they're actually working together. Oh, God, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I do think that uh, some of that stuff is, is going to turn out to be intentional, maybe. Um, it you know, is, commentary yeah. that they're doing. I just can't, but I can't get a read on the watch. Like, right. Yeah, that, that's the biggest question. Um, and yeah, my like, answer so know, that's, far that's, is like sorta. I mean, that's the danger with morality plays, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, are they entertaining? Like the idea, if if you want to moralize, why do you put it in the form of a play? Because it's more pal- palatable to people. It's more entertaining. And I do wonder. It's like, yeah, if the story is like, well, these are just all dumb criminals, and they're joining forces together to keep the black man down. Um, that's a cool. I mean, sure, fine, but is it? Is it is it going to be fun to watch? You know, yeah. otherwise, you know, your the the morality play is not not going to work. It seems like to me though, like I, I think it's it's fun to watch. It's just, man, Gaetano is is a hard guy to wrap your head around, and sure. um, Josto is a hard guy to kind of empathize with. Although they do humanize him a bit, you know, mm-hmm. with his uh, backstory that we kind of hinted at in earlier episodes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. For Prestige, me and Aaron are still extending our Shogun Afterglow with part three of our discussion of the 1980s TV miniseries. Last week absolutely shocked our sensibilities with Lord Toronaga doing the tango. What delights and horrors will await us this week? Then for Pulp, this Friday, join us for our latest prep session for House of the Dragon Season 2 as we take another look at the key differences between the text of Fire and Blood the on-screen action for season one and what they mean for the characters, story, and setting. Get your Valerian steel sharpened for the new season. 
You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. I do want to talk before I split into everything's business because there's one scene that kind of is oddly disconnected from everything, and that's the introduction where you've got the uh, man. I was having flashbacks of season three with jo- the extreme close up on Josto's mouth, yeah, chewing this Varga. animal flesh. Yeah, yeah, this is this is uh, Fargo became Vargo for like you know ten or fifteen seconds here, <laughs> watching this guy chew this meat. Uh huh. Um, and, and having this weird, so like, I don't understand, I thought this was going to be a much bigger part of the plot, Josto taking over city, city hall, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but I don't, I don't understand the, the machinations because the mayor obviously is getting nervous, probably because of the body count that's racking up in his town and he's like lo- maybe losing his election. But this, this has been such a non-story. We've only seen this guy like twice previously. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't get the political angle. There's no scenes. There's no, no scenes of him calling and being like, why are you raising time? This is an election year. Why can't you fucking get it? Like. So like, what is the stakes here? To me, it's like, is like this just here to cause friction between him and Mayflower? I don't, I don't get it. Um, yeah, it, it why is he? It doesn't feel important at all. Like, I, I don't know what Josto gets. Like, they haven't made it explicit, right? There's the implicit, like, oh, well, if you have a mayor in your pocket, then of course you'll get special treatment. Like, the cops might not come after sure. you as hard. Like, there's all that implicit stuff, but the explicit stuff is what I want to know. What does Josto specifically want out of this relationship? And they haven't done any of that. Yeah, especially since, like, okay, your old man arranged this marriage. This is some Game of Thrones shit. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the case, why are you openly antagonizing this guy? Like, why are you doing the blowjob kind of thing? shit? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, but that, that doesn't, that doesn't like, so, again, the narrative is this guy is incompetent, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he acts like he's got some kind of political favor all sewn up when, like, it, this, this, look, man, I've seen Godfather. Yeah. Uh, you want me to believe that Josto is Michael Corleone, even a bad version of him, uh, he should at least be trying mm-hmm. like, you know, he should be going through the motions and just maybe the motions aren't very satisfying or they they don't work as well as they would if someone actually good was doing them. But this is just like, yeah, I, I don't know what the stakes are. I don't know who these people are. I don't know how it fits into the wider pol- political story. So it's like, eh, but yeah. uh, it is a it is a sick shot of him eating meat, though. Yeah, it's uh, disgusting. Sure. Uh uh, and the other stuff, you know, is it leads right into this Orietta stuff, which I think is much better. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go into the Mayflower business now. Um, we're going to stay on that subject for a bit. Um, there's this interesting conversation between Josto and Mayflower about um, their backgrounds. Um, I actually really liked how they made it very clear that Mayflower is a victim of Manchouser by proxy, but yeah. they don't actually come out and say it. Uh-huh. Like Josto doesn't connect the dots. It's just, oh yeah, I had a oh yeah, r- really rough upbringing. Yeah, so many of these uh, things. I wonder, like, uh, at the time, would they even have understood sort of what some of these things are? Right, like when I think of uh, Wef and his ticks and his uh, sure. his thing, they like it's got to be hell to go to the doctor and them to have no way to diagnose anything you've got going on, right? And just saying, well, suck it up. Or you gotta relax. Or you gotta relax, buddy. Yeah, out there in a minefield. Right, you know? and then him having to go out and figure his own solutions out. Right, like he talks about. Uh, we'll, we'll get to all that, but you, you know, he he tried to figure his own solutions out, and I think 
like Orietta not them maybe not understanding what Munchausen by proxy is at that point. No, I know. wouldn't imagine like the idea that a mother would deliberately do something to harm their child is like so far beyond the pale that it's like the perfect crime. Right. Because the shield is, oh my God, I'm a mother. Of course, like, you know. Um, of course. And so, then you're, and you're friendly is, with the doctors, like she describes. And, uh, which and, you would be, and yeah. you're probably really familiar with the different, and they have these like horse shit, like, uh, you know, failure to thrive. And <laughs> right. um, I mean, I think I read an article one day that like, you remember the, the hysteria around SIDS, like the sudden, oh, infant sudden death infant. syndrome, yep. that that's, that was almost entirely due to how we were having babies sleep. And that like SIDS is like falling off the map when we got to like, hey, you know, uh, don't have a bunch of thick, fluffy blankets that's going to suffocate your kid. Don't put them on their 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 belly. Uh-huh. And like, you know, they, they had this whole syndrome for like parents just rolling over their kids on their belly because they'll be more comfortable to sleep. And then they suffocate themselves. Oh. I don't know if that's true. That's like that's like you might want to Google that. That might be something I heard and it's not true. <laughs> uh-huh. Um but but like I I do think that you're 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 right on there with the like they just they just didn't understand this and the whole yeah. you know her being this uh, um, grim reaper of nurses I think that's the same kind of thing like it's it's very like the the hospital system doesn't want to confront it like it's almost a too horrible reality yeah. um, but uh, we also got like this is something that I brought up a couple weeks ago when we uh, were thinking about the Milligans. And how the mugshot of old man Milligan said that he was arrested for sexual perversion. And there was this theory that, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing that haunts like, you know, um, uh, Rabbi Milligan and whatnot is the fact that maybe his dad uh, molested him. Hmm. And maybe that's why he was so you know keen to, to have him killed. Well, we, we got confirmation of that, essentially, right? Sky did unspeakable, unnatural things for three years to Josto, and it fucked yeah. him up. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. I don't know where that's going, though. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm okay with characterization go. for characterization's sake. Um, that's true. You know, if, yeah. if you can run out of character and make me empathize with them more, uh, I think that's a good thing, almost universally. Yeah, yeah. Um, they also got in this interesting conversation about uh, patron saints, um and I for the first time I I was looking into Ethelreda and it's spelled differently but there is actually a Saint Ethelreda um in Roman Catholic lore she grew up in the uh 7th century she was the princess of this king this Anglo-Saxon king um but she was known as a revolutionary figure once she uh d- dedicated her life to Christ she freed all the bondsmen the people who were essentially enslaved to the estate and lived like this aesthetic life. Hmm. And I think there's something interesting. She's also uh, the patron saint of sore throats. That's it. That's it. That's it. What? What is going on in that church? What is happening? I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And um, hold on a second. Is there a patron sure. saint of Munchausen by proxy? <laughs> well, that's where I was going. She's the uh, the patron saint of throat complaints, and I, I wonder if there is something to there. <laughs> I have a throat complaint to lodge. <laughs> I have something lodged in my throat. That's the complaint. Yep. Uh, I, I do like there's like, like some kind of choking thing there. I don't know something with the hmm. um, uh, yeah. Mayflower. Um, but then the the real meat of this is she calls the hospital while Josto's taking a piss after she's uh, done worked him over. Because she's really working him over, Jim, mm-hmm. and uh, finds out that he's making a full recovery. Holy Bad shit. news for her. 
and and this she gets this news that Josto because she's fallen for Josto, right? And Josto's kind of fallen for her, but he's got this arranged marriage, and she's not too keen on this. Well, this just blows that situation wide open, and she starts. Mayflower, when she's got a head of steam behind her, is hilarious. Oh, her, like her little feet stomping. I know, man, running down that hallway. Yeah, and like every like third or fourth stomp, she kind of gets a half stomp in because she's almost like it's like a tr- caught between a trot and a gallop. It's I, the physical yeah. acting that she's doing is Chef's Kiss. Uh, J- Jesse Buckley is that her name? Uh, she, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Very good, very good. I saw we saw yeah, her we in. Um, I'm thinking of ending things recently, a Netflix mm-hmm. movie by Charlie Kaufman. And that was really very good worth too. checking out. Very worth checking out if you're if you want to see a completely 180 degree different performance out of out of this uh, this woman. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they uh, she she Mayflower stomps off. She throws out Josto. Doesn't want to see him again. Um. She also then goes to her hospital and she's stomping around trying to find out. Finds out that Doctor Harvard has been transferred to a special hospital that deals exclusively poisoning and is under police guard because of course this is the second attempt on his life mm-hmm. and they think this is like fada business related uh sure. and mayflower has about three cows while she's standing there talking to this lady <laughs> and then you think you thought she was high speed stomping before wait till you see this routine her flying around her house trying to rapidly pack uh she goes through tries to pack up all of her patient uh, mementos and then she finds the fucking journal. Well, we all and knew she was going to find. It's like the bride and kill bill. She has her own little personal like siren go off and she goes to the window. And of course, Ethel Reed has got to be coming out of her front porch to take the bus. Mm-hmm. And we have this like two minute hate sequence that she <laughs> she delivers. And it's really good. Like that's that's some that's some that's some premium malice that she's she's working. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I got to wonder, like, so the law is going to be coming for her, right? Like Harvard wakes up. Harvard tells them, hey, I ate these macarons. They are, sorry, macaroons, according to him. Uh, I immediately fell over. Like, there's, unless he's a Fargo character and he doesn't connect the dots. um, So, but, so I, and here, I don't, I don't honestly know. I know this is like a trope in TV shows, which is, makes it good enough to discuss, but like, there's this idea that, um, you know, when you go on an, an anesthetic, part of the part of the thing is like, you know, it makes you unconscious. But part of it, it also is it uh, is an amnesiatic, you know, like uh, it actually mm-hmm. the 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 loss of consciousness kind of like d- does something to your short term memory so that you might not remember the first, you know, the you, you don't remember counting off completely down to 10 when you fall unconscious and stuff. I, I wonder if they're going to say something like, well, he lost consciousness and he's real fuzzy about what happened right before he died. Like, he remember maybe, you know, because the thing is, is like, if he takes the cookie and uh, gets poisoned, that's one thing, because it could still be, like, the Fada gang involved. She, I don't know how, yeah, I don't yeah. know how she would do it, though. But, like, the thing that really condemns her is, like, the fact that she ruffled through his papers, stole that letter, and just coldly, like, you know, wiped the crumbs off his face. Will he remember that? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, if he does remember anything, then she's in big trouble. It does feel like it's something that she could go to Josto and be like, "This is this suits both of our, you know, things. We need to kill this guy before." But like, why would Josto agree to that? Because that would just put the noose around his neck. Yeah, yeah, he's already under scrutiny. Uh, uh, maybe she can convince him on the other side of a feather pillow because. <laughs> 
He seems Maybe. like her do, doing her 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 foot foot footwork on him. I don't know. She could she have a way to convince him, but I, yeah, I, she seems fucked. I I think you're right. Like, uh, yeah, she's on. She's gonna be on the lamb. She's gonna be trying to take vengeance on Ethel Rita and yeah. then getting the fuck out. It seems like seems like. So yeah, how she might never even see Josto again. Maybe not. That's can't be. I don't know. Okay, let's go into Fada business. So after uh, Mayflower throws him out of his apartment, he's got a real head of steam. He's on the move. Um, the trademark kind of like jazzy Mr. Wrench drums from season three are kicking in. And uh, he gets back to his house. And you know what? Gaetano the Bull, he's back. Throws him through a table, beats him to unconsciousness. When he wakes up, says that, hey, I realize that I'm the bull and you're the snake and I'm swearing loyalty to you. And he he swears loyalty to him in front of the whole gang. Yeah. I I, I just think that I don't I just don't understand this character because I thought they told me he was a paper tiger. Mm -hmm. And now he is back to being this superhuman killing machine. Yep. I don't understand how he had that reaction. Or am I supposed to understand that Swanee and Zelmer are just that badass that the mere sound of gunfire from their fingertips is so distinctly feminine and wrathful that, you know, Gaetano wanted no part of it? I don't get it. Like, yeah. that one scene you take out of the season, I buy all this shit. I buy the fact that this guy's dumb, but he's just smart enough in, in, in to see through his haze of, of red rage. He gets some limoncello in him and realizes, wait a second, this cannon guy wants me to do this. He's uh-huh. my enemy. I should do the opposite. But I just, I, yeah, I, I don't I, know what. And I, I don't know. Like I, it's it's hard for me to gauge because yeah, I think like there have been a couple missteps in my opinion in this character's arc. Um, and yeah, you might like say, okay, well he sees Loy's plan, but did he also see Josto's plan? Because Josto's plan is to let him die um and in fact, he to admires. get him killed he admires it but uh, i don't know i always have a problem like when a show tries to tell me that like a character is happy that something bad could have happened to them when it didn't like because it's for a greater purpose it's it's really really hard to sell that and i don't think the show has done a good enough job like they just sort of mm. Instead of like trying to explain it, they just have him do it. Just have him forgive yeah. him and and explain to him like why this is such a oh I see what you did there like yeah but that I was your life I, mean, I I don't know I I think it is like if if the reason you're trying to take over the family from your older brothers because you think he's weak and uh-huh. he's not capable of doing the things that must be done and you you and then he sh- he murders your rival's kid and tries to murder his own brother secure power. I think that 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 part it's makes still sense. It's just that, like Gaetano himself. Yeah, no, I get it. But like you know, even when they were beating him half to death, he was saying, you know, hey, it's family, family, mm-hmm. family is family. What are you going to do? Um, I, I like I said, the only my only flaw, the only flaw I think in this character is what him kind of freaking out with Zelmer and Swanee. Um, you know, if he had like bravely faced them and they just out fought him because apparently they're fucking dynamite with a gun. Yeah, like they clean out a whole train station of cops and only Raylan fucking Givens was able to bring him to G- the heel when they ran out of bullets. Yeah. Like, okay, they're badass. I get it. But like, is he badass? And if he's badass, then they're badass or he should have come in direct conflict. And I, I, but they didn't do that. And 
he got taken down by he shot his own guy in pant shitting terror and then the lady snuck in the open window behind his back and got him that was it i don't know so uh the thing is the other thing is like evil looks like he's about to have multiple panic attacks during because i i what is his deal like okay josto's an idiot gaetano's an idiot now they're they're an idiot chain that can't be broken. Uh-huh. Like, did he have an idea that he might be able to like reason with one or the other? But if they're both working together, it's. I just think he's on a train that's headed off a cliff, and he is powerless to do anything about it. Because like he's right. The, the the look that he gives, and when he's like boss, when you know he's talking to Loy last episode, uh, saying, "Hey, we killed your kid." You know, Gatano killed Gatano instead. All of that to me is a guy who is just losing any kind of grip on influence that he had in this thing. Um, yeah. And now, I mean, he's still in his position. He's still in this family. There's nothing he can do to change it, but he's stuck on it. Well, and there's also like, I, I do think they're telling a story about how dumb these guys are because mm-hmm. like there's a scene later on where Gaetano is like, so you didn't even know the kid was killed and you can, oh, what would you have done if this, the Irish had done the obvious play? And he's like, and then he thinks that's just like, oh, look at the balls my boy, my brother's got. He yeah. takes, he, he he risks it all on a bad crap throw and and crapped out. Oh, look at the balls it, It's this not kid. that like, he had calculated, oh, you know, there's a slim chance of that happening. It's that he <laughs> hadn't even thought about it. He hadn't even considered yeah. that as a possibility. So his whole plan yeah, yeah, was yeah. based on just some faulty assumptions and i i don't know so now my other question is how does this impact what we think of loy because we thought that loy had this really genius plan involving conspicuously sending these uh, these deadly women to this train station and having this problematic marshal there and they were leaking that information and all that kind of stuff um either he's playing not just 16th dimensional chess, but 24th dimensional chess. And this is all continued to be part of the plan or that is not true. And his actual plan was, yeah, just hope the brother kills him and then deal with the dumb strong one. And yeah. when that doesn't come to pass, then he's just, you know, going with the Fargo option, Fargo option. Not great, by the way. Uh, and, and I guess we can in, talk in about that way? scene. Yeah, because I think well, you're right. I, I think that's exactly what happened. He he made a play, it failed, and now he's on plan B. He's on plan B, which is, you know, that's always the smart character has like, you mm-hmm. know, three paths of victory after the first one, but also not the elaborate mastermind plan I was hoping from Loy Cannon. Um, so we go, uh, Josto's out smoking. Um, his brother comes out with a big bottle of, I can only assume, limoncello, makes his brother drink. No, it's like, Irish you know, whiskey. Is are, what are they doing with that? Interesting. Well, it's the devil. Like, uh, <laughs> okay. I, I no. I mean, that's the devil that, is I mean, Irish. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah. That they're they're you know this is uh he's being forced to drink it. Oh God. Yeah. I, oh God. I was trying to think of like what is the implication there, but by definitely... a larger, more physically powerful person. Yeah. Not. I I don't know what the fuck you're doing with this part of the morality play, Holly. You've kind of <laughs> lost me on this one, but um. But they get it, you know, it's like they. It, this is uh, Joe Pesci visiting in his mom's house at three o'clock in the morning with a corpse in the trunk. It's like cute. Yeah. Um, and uh, then then the Fargo team rolls in uh, with their rifles that Loy gave him earlier this season. They gun down four or five of the Fada muscle. Uh, they take their best shot at Gaetano and uh, Josto. Gaetano runs them off with two pistols just in Han Solo mode. 
Yeah. Um, which th- that can happen, you know, if you bought it when Han Solo did it in Death Star, stop bitching about it now. Um, but then they come back and the true, the true tragic, tra- travesty, tragedy, <laughs> the true tragedy is their mom's dead. And I think that's her, their sister. The one who was married to okay. the uh, Camp Pleasant guy. Um, yeah. I just knew it was the mom and that was going to be a problem. Yeah, so their mother and sister are both murdered, and Gaetano is just insane with grief and rage. Um, is he going to still meekly accept his role as the the bull and I let the so. snake plan things out? You really? Uh, no? I think he's going to be you know pushing for for revenge, and I think you know Josto is going to have to whether he wants to you know go in guns blazing or not. He's going to have to. Um, yeah. That will kind of be beyond frustrating with Gaetano just next next week. Like, uh, you know, Josto's like, hey, you know, I'm the snake and you're the bull, buddy. We're going to get a revenge. Just that. No, we got to go right out. I'm going to be like, OK, OK. I mean, I, right, I can see him lobbying for that. But if he then goes off, oh, yes. you know, and just takes matters into his own hands. Yeah, it's going to be frustrating. But all Josto should have to say is, look, look, I get it. I'm the snake. We're going to have. And then Gaetano should fucking relax as if he doesn't then this whole week everything of me like buying this character and going along with it goes out the window and I'm like I don't I don't get it I don't get right. it okay let's um I think we're I think we're done with the fada business let's, let's move on to some smutney business we haven't had much smutney business that involved Ethel Rita for a while uh and there's a really it's another really good monologue I guess dueling monologue scene uh Debra smutney opens the door and turns out it's Buell Loy Cannon's wife. She's here to see her son to tell her, tell him that uh, their her his baby brother's dead. They have a really good scene in the kitchen where <laughs> uh, Buell's like, "I know what you're going to do. You're going to ask for me to intercede because we go way back. We grew up on the same street. And we went to the same church. And we used to braid each other's hair, and it ain't going to work." And Deborah's like, "Oh, well, have you considered that I'm going to try and it's going to work anyway?" Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a great. It's, yeah. it's honestly a great scene, and it's a very careful piece of acting work. Mm. Like, you know, it's, it's it's absorbing and in the same kind of way like the early scenes of The Godfather are where the camera just sits there and, like, you drink in these people's face and their expression and the rhythm of their dialogue. Um, but at the end, you know... I think you're going to understand that Debril is going to host the funeral services for Canon, and this moves Ebel so, or not Ebel, uh, uh, Buell so much that she's going to intercede uh, for the family on behalf of Loy Cannon. That doesn't really make sense to me, though, because what other half black owned funeral parlor is going to do the Like, I just assumed that, of course, if they're going to have a service at all, it'd be done at this place. So it's like, and also, so is this Loy owns this place. Yeah, yeah. Loy owns this building now. So, like, how did this? I, I, I think you're supposed to understand that the story of Ethel Rita is what's is what the real grease is here. Okay. And maybe Buell's looking for a way to like how I can sell this to Loy. But the, if I'm at Loy and I'm and, and and my wife comes to me and says, you know what? Smutney's going to do us a solid. They're going to let us use their funeral parlor and and go out on his services. He's going to be like, woman, we own this business. Yes, of course they're going to do it. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And they're the- going to move bodies for us and money and launder money and all kinds of shit. Come on. Like, what? This, this feels more like an emotional plea to be okay with doing this rather than than mm. actually doing it. Like, like, look, this is my this is my child. Um he got mixed up in this business and was killed. Look, I'm in a very similar place to you here. 
you know, I'm also a bit of a hostage in in this relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. Be, be uh, understand what this means to me and be okay with doing it rather than just doing it because there's a gun to your head uh, is yeah. kind of the vibe I got from this scene. And man, there's, there's a line in there that struck me um, when uh, Buell, is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, says there's always lower you can go. You know, she, she's uh, Debril's talking about how like, you know, they, they've lost everything and, and, you know, they've got this thing hanging over them, but she says there's always lower you can go. And it struck me because Loy Cannon trying to get this credit card thing going is like the, the epitome of that. Like it, it's not bad enough if you don't have any money. Uh, we, we have now invented mechanisms to allow people to gamble their future in, in a way with like credit cards and debt and things and then lose it. Right. And they mm-hmm. be stuck in that hole, be, be lower than sea level uh when it comes mm-hmm. to you know financial life uh and just just everything about uh the way they're living so like it, I, I couldn't help but see them tied up in that idea of like there's always lower you can go yeah i and it, it's 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 such a good point you made about her being stuck in this relationship too because you know um she thought maybe just like these the 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 stress and the lifestyle was bad before, but now and the other thing that's crazy is like we're talking about Satchel as if he's dead and he's not. Uh, sure, like that's like it. It is wild to see that this go for multiple episodes that there's this false information that Milligan's out in in liberal Kansas probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like it though. I, I'm you know it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah, it allows yeah. us to stay in this like weird in between zone. And they they do some other cool stuff too. Like Ethel Reed is upstairs; she's listening to music, and there's this kind of like camera pushing in on her from a obviously a um, a, a first person's perspective. And I'm thinking, oh my god, it's Mr. Snowman. We're going to see Mr. <laughs> Snowman here. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it's Lemuel. Lemuel yeah. ready to run some pretty slick game on Ethel Rita. Like this is a pretty A plus flirting game he's got here. Sure, you start off talking about jazz, improvisation. There's a, there's a Sli- vibe slightly to nagging, that. Slightly yeah. nagging her and her old man's taste. I like that way he f- said, um, I've never heard a cooler way to say something's corny by saying, yeah, some of these, a lot of these albums little little off the cob. Uh-huh. Like, I love it. I've never heard that expression before, but I'm definitely yeah. going to steal it. Do you know exactly uh, what it means I'm going to appropriate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, and she's also, the other thing is, like, she's looking at the ring. I thought, yeah. sure. Sure, this like we had a kissing of the ring. He don't got the ring. What is the importance of this ring? Is it going to be the only evidence she's got to use against Nurse Mayflower? Really? It, c- it feels like that ship has sailed, though. Like I don't think evidence is what she out? needs. Right? She needs a she needs a gat or something to like protect her. It's, sure. Do you think that that ring is going to contain poison? Like it's an old mafia ring that flips open, and you could like you know some kind of <laughs> trick ring. You know the old mafia rings. You're, sure, you got one, didn't you, Jim? You got oh, one yeah. passed Hand, down, handed you, down to the family. Had to had to <laughs> supply my own poison, though. They, yeah, that was all dried the up. Poison oath. There you go. You need poison to do the poison oath. That's Josto's problem here. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with the ring, other than like she's just contemplating. You know, I I, I don't even know because be I can't tell if she's for looking them to keep reminding us. Is she looking at it thinking like? This is an interesting curiosity. Is she like, what is she doing pondering this ring? Like, what's going through I her head? Know. I don't know. I think, I mean, I, I got, I guess I buy her pondering it because she just set up Mayflower. 
you know, to mm-hmm. go up the river. And maybe she's like thinking about that decision in terms of the French music she's listening to, which is, I think, isn't that an affectation she got from uh, Mayflower? Like she she spoke I, French, but did she sit around listening to French jazz records? That's a that? good question. Uh, you might be right about that. I think it, I think it's just mentally connected. She's and I imagine like as a seventeen year old, if you just turn state's evidence on a nurse and trying to send her away for multiple murder, that you would be thinking about her, right? Well, yeah, but um, thinking about it in what way? Like, is she regretting it? Is she savoring it? Is she? Uh, yeah, she's so inscrutable. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to tough uh, to read her. Which I think is great. I wish there's there's more of her in the season because, uh, like I said, she feels like a really weird secondary main character um, mm-hmm. so far. Uh, but right, right as Lemuel's really uh, laying the moves on uh, her daughter, uh, Deborah comes in to fetch him for his mom, and she sees the look that's going on, and she warns her daughter, like, "You stay away from this boy; he's trouble." Which, of course, is just going to make Ethel Rita think he's even more fascinating and mysterious and desirable. If I yeah. if I know my teenagers, um. <laughs> yeah, Ethel Rita's a little unique. Uh, you know, she said as much, but. Yeah, teenagers. Yeah, you tell them not to do something; they'll probably want to do it more. Yeah, uh, so that's the smutney business. Pretty light, pretty light, but uh, they're setting up for for more things to come. Uh, and then we're going to end with just a bunch of uh, official U.S. marshal business. Um, Deffy shows up at Loy Cannon's house. Uh, Opal tries to run him off, but he will not be run off. Uh, and they have a debate about the criminal mindset because Loy starts the speech with I can't give these women up i guaranteed their safety i'm accountable for them mm-hmm. and this is just like this is a straight out of this is straight out of the justified playbook here uh timothy oliphant making these long impressive long-winded kind of drawling folksy speeches that then you don't realize he's putting you know he he's he's assembling the weapon that he's going to use to kill you at the rhetorically and in, in the last bit and he goes around and uh, i but I've seen like a dozen of these speeches and movies, and I'm always impressed when someone can come up with a new way to kind of crystallize the essential difference of the outlaw and the criminal from the civilian life. Like, what is yeah. the essential detour? And it's the transactional nature, mm-hmm. right? And, then he, and he points yeah. it out to him. It's like, this is why, this is, this is, I said all this stuff to make this point. If you gave up your youngest son, like Abraham gave up Isaac to uh, just to get power and money, you're going to have a single problem giving up these strangers to avoid me, you know, putting my boot up your ass. And, yeah, you know, Loy can laugh and he can try to act like he's got the upper hand and he can threaten this guy that he's not going to make it out of state alive, which turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, but he still loses the essential part of the argument here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, proves uh, Deffy right. By the end of this scene, where he gives up Swanee and Zamir, so yeah, no, he 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 knows exactly uh, the where the loyalties of the criminal lie, um, and, and you know they've been doing this stuff all season, right? The the mantra of the Italians: business, family, country. Um, yep. That shows you the order that they put these things in, and family's not on top there. It was great seeing Timothy Oliphant do pull off a quick draw. Yeah. Uh yeah. It's super super fucking cool, especially since uh you know, it's like uh yeah, it's it, it's just great. The other thing that's interesting is another Fargo connection is this um response that Lloyd gives about uh you know, I like you. Uh oh, Mormons are nice people. Nah, you're unfriendly. Um 
and though it's a way you're unfriendly, like you're doing me a favor, this is a callback to Mike Milligan meeting Lou Salverson for the first time in Fargo season two. They had this exact same exchange except for over Lou's Minnesota nice right. accent. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. Uh, yes. I can say nothing bad about this particular scene. It just completely works on all levels. It needs to work. Um, Timothy Oliphant is a beast. Uh, um, Chris Rock is amazing. Like the restraint he plays when, what he just a restrained performance he gives when Oliphant's like, you know, you don't strike me as a guy who thinks himself as wrong, and he just kind of rolls out of his mouth. Rarely, <laughs> uh-huh. I and then you know, tell me exactly why you think that that it's like it it's good, it's good. And that end um, at the end when he gives uh, Opal a look, like oh shit, he did not like that you let him in his house. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and there's a lot of stuff like you know that's just the um, the cool parts of the scene. There's also a lot of like ugly stuff, like the way that he punctuates. Um, you know, you can you can kind of kind of forgive yourself by thinking of Raylan Givens and what a good guy he is, but every once in a while, Timothy Oliphant throws in a boy, like with with a bit of malice and venom, and it's like, oh no, right, this guy, this guy's, uh, you know, he's like the law, but. You know, the, the law is not exactly <laughs> not exactly the, the vanguard of, of truth and justice everywhere, especially in 1950s America. Sure. So I, I it's, it's it just worked on every level it needed to. Um, we then see uh, after Lloyd Cannon obviously gives the two women up. Uh, Deffy's leading a tactical briefing at the police station. Um, he concludes it with with Psalms after the boys have a chuckle about his backdoor joke. Um did you notice that there is a Mr. Snowman sitting on the desk that's that um, Deffy's standing in front of? And it, its well, face well, is carved to look almost exactly like the Mr. Snowman ghost. What do you mean there's a Mr. Snowman? Like there's a, a snowman? There's literally like, a Frosty the Snowman Christmas okay. festive thing. And his face is carved to look like a frowning skull. The hell? No, uh, I didn't notice that. I thought it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool foreshadowing because I was, I mean, I'm honestly looking for Mr. Shad. I'm looking for Mr. Snowman. I'm watching this like uh, the haunting of Hill House now. Right, like every right. time there's a, there's a shadow under staircase, where's the fucking ghost face? Yeah. You know, every, every time the camera kind of lingers over someone's shoulder, where's Mr. Snowman? Like, I'm not going to be scared by this guy. <laughs> so I, um, <laughs> my hyper villagens allowed me to uncover Mr. Snowman standing there in plain sight. Anyway, Wef. Uh, Detective Weff gets a call. I think he plays this straight. I think that, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't even think Alan Seppenwall got this because um, his take was that Weffy had a change of heart. He wanted to be a true blue policeman. I think Loy said kill the marshal. I think, I think Weff, I think Weff was told to kill the marshal and let these women go, or maybe oh. kill everybody and eliminate the evidence. But I think he's he's still Nick Cannon's guy. Sorry, Loy Cannon. He's still Loy <laughs> Cannon's guy. Yeah. Uh I, I think you could be right. Like I'm thinking back through the episode. Okay, how does that track? Like he's super nervous, but is he super nervous because he's got to go into this dangerous shootout situation? Or Which is he super out. nervous because he knows that in this dangerous shootout situation, he's gotta kill the the US Marshal and and potentially, you know, the he's gotta kill everyone. It's yeah, I suppose it could be either way. Um, I, I just kind of took it at face value, but there's no reason I really should have. You know what? I think it's because of the speech he gives. I think it's this power versus risk thing. This felt so honest to me. Um, 
when he's talking about, you know, his symptoms and how he went to these doctors and they just told him he, yeah, bullshit, whatever, uh, just relax, dude. And he had to go out searching for his own solutions to these problems. That was such an honest, like, heartfelt human moment that to say, oh, but he could also be lying about something in that See, mix. I think that- you're right. It's it's probably more likely that he was. And and it also fits thematically because, you know, Deffy so far has been very proud of his ability to judge character. And what is this thing he's afraid of? He's afraid of being caught out, being caught with his boots off, being taken yeah. unaware, uh, uh, a petty death. And that's what he gets at the hand of this corrupted person, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just I, that I, they I spent so much time making Wef look weaker and weaker, each of these progressive yeah. episodes, that to have that running through my head would have been impossible. Like the idea that he would suddenly, you know, grow a pair or whatever and, and go execute on his mission. Uh, it, it hadn't even crossed my mind, frankly. I, I will say the first time I watched the show, I took it. I was like, Oh God, Wef, he's going to take a turn to the light at the end. And like, I've been thinking about that. Like, you know, a lot of times when I'm seeing Deffy go after him, I'm, I've, I, I openly asked that question a couple of like, is he, is he trying to save Deffy's soul? Or I'm sorry, um, Detective Weft's soul, or is he trying mm. to like send him up the river? Right. And I never could figure. It. And then, then when this happened, I'm like, well, there, there, that's clicking into place. He's trying to send him. He's trying to save his soul. He's trying to like, okay, I've, I've redeemed you back to the light, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something satisfying about Deffy just getting, getting caught out, dying with his boots half off. For sure. So then we transition to the train station, and. Uh, this is an elaborate. I think a lot of this is an elaborate homage to uh, Brian De Palma's *The Untouchables*, okay. um, which is filmed at this exact same uh, station in Chicago, um, where all of Fargo. And I don't know whether it's an intentional choice or it's like, oh shit, we're filming here. Let's just go ahead because like they almost set it up to where like there's a baby crying. Like I was expecting, I was expecting the baby buggy to go over those staircases any moment now uh-huh. and, and cause chaos. Um, if you haven't seen Untouchables, right. stop right now. Go watch the movie. It's good. It's good, and you'll 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 immediately recognize this this reference. I think it's a um, Union Station in Chicago. Is that right? Yeah, like Grand Grand Union. I've been there too. I, I used to I used to take a bus from Indianapolis yeah. to Chicago about every other weekend and take the train the Metra up to the northern suburbs. It's uh, it's beautiful, beautiful building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks it looks amazing. It looks like a it's it it's a it's a living period piece. You know, if you want to shoot something yeah. that looks like it might be anywhere from 1910 to present day, there you go. Um, these great public works that we 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 built in the early 20th century. But um, they get to the train station. There's some cool stuff. Number one, Cincinnati. Cincinnati got repped on the uh, those those. I, I love those clockwork. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the like uh, bulletin board things yeah, yeah so cool so cool what well, is a mistake to go to led from those things <laughs> it's just so satisfying to watch them change sure um so that was cool um did you notice there's also a train from sioux falls that uh, it's train number 666 oh nice yeah uh what it, do you think i didn't notice that but sioux falls is ringing some bells when it comes to like the sioux falls massacre which i think we saw depicted in a previous season yeah, it's the it's the uh, UFO climax, the controversial okay. in bald move circles UFO climax. So they shoot out um, at that motel or whatever it was. But it was it, there was nothing satanic about it, other than no. I guess I don't know evil the men do. Um, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It's just something I want to throw out there to see if anyone uh, makes a connection. Uh, Swanee uh, has got the sweet tooth. She robs this concession man blind. Um, they the the marshal outside gives uh, Detective uh, Weff a pep, pep talk in the form of a lightly obscene limerick about pelicans. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what to make of this, but it was funny. Yeah. Then he jumps out the door, says Geronimo, which you know the backstory of this Geronimo stuff. It's it sounds vaguely racist, uh, if I had to guess, but well, I'm not that's, sure. That's that's the tagline for America. Sure, uh, yeah. <laughs> at best, vaguely racist. Um, you're not so like apparently World War II is the invention of the paratrooper, and uh, you know these these guys drafted in service are going to get thrown out of an airplane and 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 <laughs> and arrive safely through a hail of flak on born on the wings of silk that these parachutes have given them, and when they're in training, like the men, like it was they were uh, they're all very afraid. And um, I guess the very first paratroopers, uh, right before they did their first test jump, they saw this movie called Geronimo um, that was depicting the life of this this uh, Indian, you know, uh, um, uh, resistance guy. He got got caught and arrested three different times and he died as a prisoner of war. But uh, they were inspired. Um, I, I, the story goes that uh, one of the one of the privates. Um, they were teasing him about he's going to be so scared he's going to he's going to forget his own name when it's time when when they call him to jump and he's like that's all right guys you'll know that I got my courage when I when I jump out the plane screaming Geronimo and that hmm. became a thing I guess like all paratroopers started doing that and then it spread throughout popular culture like anytime you're about to do it's kind of like hold my beer sure you yeah. know yeah. It, it's it's that kind of expression. So mm-hmm. yeah, vaguely racist. It's it's in admiration of this Indian character, but also now the interesting thing is years later, this uh, I think it's a five 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 hundred and first airborne unit, um, the one that this this um, that that this practice originated. They contacted Geronimo's family and asked them if they could incorporate his um, uh, like I don't Indian banner and his name. Geronimo to their unit patch and apparently the family gave their permission because now the 501st have the Geronimo patch on their shoulders when they're jumping out of planes to this day. Interesting. So anyway, back to the scene. Um, The women are waxing nostalgic about their exploits here in Kansas City and all the times great tension scene. The law is encircling them and there is great scene where Deffy's looking for them and Mr. Snowman shows up, which puts the women kind of on alert. And mm-hmm. Zelmare stands up, and there's just great shot where they lock eyes across the room. I love the way Zalmer met mugs at him. Yeah. Kind of like, her, ah, you got a reaction, right? It's in, and then they kiss passionately, they draw their guns, and I'm like, oh fuck, this is gonna be badass. And unfortunately, in the part they, they essentially they cut away from the action as the baby starts falling down the staircase. The mm. baby buggy starts falling down the staircase, and we come back at the end of it. Yeah. Um, Weff finally gets his courage up, leaves the bil- the thing. He goes against a light tide of people rushing and screaming out of the building. Finds that uh, Deffy has cornered the women. They're out of ammo, and asks them to handcuff him. And depending on how you interpret it, he has a change of heart at the last minute, or he sees it with his vantage, shoots Deffy. Uh, shoots Swanee in the head. Um, and they made it very clear that this isn't one of those headshots. It's not going to be fatal like we right, saw Gatano, earlier in the season. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And Zalmer loses her shit, 
charges Wef, who's kind of like discombobulated. Uh, he shot goes wild. She runs off into the night, apparently gets away. Mm-hmm. And man, the look on Marshall Deffy's face as he's <laughs> lying there dead. Uh-huh. is something else. There might be another Mr. Snowman haunting people now because that's the man, that's that's a look of rage and and ac- accusation that he dies with looking right at Wef. Yeah. That's good. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess I'm a little sad we didn't get to see the massacre happen, but man, when they show the mm. aftermath, it's impressive, you know, and, and I was thinking, yeah, so oh, many. well, they're going to, you know, shoot the cops and stuff, and this will be the bad guys versus the good guys. But it's the innocents, the innocents that got me. Like all these civilians yep. just laying dead at, at the feet of these people. It's like, oh, brutal. See, and I think that's a part of the morality play that works really well because, like, and, and it's not the first time I've seen this where like a director will like get you like all like your bloodlust up, like, oh, I'm gonna see something cool, and it's very romantic. You know, these women yeah. pulling each other in for a passion and embrace. They're gonna get their drawn their guns. They're gonna take a stand against the law. And you're wanting to see it. And then when you see the aftermath, there's all these people, these, these dead men, women. There might have been some children laying around. And it did, it's like, oh, God. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want that. Like, it's yeah. like the idea you had of Zalmer and Swanee is finally confront. You have to confront the reality of their existence. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about it? You know, um, not great. How do you feel about how do you feel about Sheriff Weffy? Because it's not like he's exactly on the side of angels or I'm sorry, Deffy. Uh, Marshall Deffy. Okay. How do you feel about Wef? Like, it's like there's like all this shifting kind of like as you see, pers- like from everyone's perspective, everything kind of seems understandable. But at the end of the day, it's a bloodbath. And I think that's still more, yet more commentary about America, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's good. We also got, a, I think, our best look at Mr. Snowman so far. Right. And I was shocked to see that he looks like. Like a like he's wearing colonial era, like early, like late, like late seventeenth century type of like you know brass buttons down and waistcoat type of Ben Franklin shit. Yeah. Um. What do you think that means? I man, he's been the biggest mystery, the biggest question mark of this whole season to me, uh, Mister Snowman, and I still don't know what to make of it. Like there, there's a. <laughs> There's the specter of death. There's the specter of racism. There's all of these things that I've been thinking like, oh, maybe that's it, you know, throughout the season. And it's still none of it's quite come together. Uh, and it does and seem like it's centered on, on Zel- Zelmer and uh, Debril. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's they, they talk about that family specifically being haunted. She's the one that gave us the name, Mr. Snowman. Um, but then Swanee's the one to see it and see him in this episode. Yeah, Is that but- right? Yeah, and uh, here's here's something. I also might be vaguely racist. I think you're supposed to get to understand that because of her mystical Indian connection, her Native American connection, that she's able to see huh. these spirit things just the way she could see her father's second shadow. Like she's got the sight, right? Um, right. But um, could be. I I don't I don't know because it's the first time I think that. It's the first time that we. Uh, well, no, because I, I was gonna say it's the first time we've seen a non-smutney see it. Because Ethel Reed has seen Mr. Snowman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're pretty sure Zalmer's seen him before because she knew he was in the room and she shut her eyes and not see him, but she called him by name. Uh, I think this is the first time we've actually seen someone else see him, though. I think as you're far right. As, I, as far as I know. So, anyway, that's the episode. That's the nadir. This is the low part. It's all up from here. 
And yeah. I've heard next episode is something to see. And we're going to be talking about a little bit at the very end of the, because I know some people don't like to go on these things like completely blind, don't like to watch the next time on. Uh, so we're going to talk about that at the end of the feedback section. Speaking of. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Madman and father of Mad Max, George Miller, is back with another apocalyptic tale from the Australian wastelands. This time we're getting a prequel featuring the origin story of Charlize Theron's character Furiosa, starring the Queen's Gambit's Anya Taylor-Joy in the title role and the mighty Thor Chris Hemsworth as the warlord Dr. Dementis. Furiosa promises more high-octane, slightly radioactive action and fun. Furiosa drives into theaters on May 24th, and we'll have our spoiler-free thoughts and impressions of the film, as well as a discussion of trailers and upcoming movies for everyone. But if you want to ride with us the full length of the podcast on the eternal highways of Valhalla, shiny and chrome, you're going to have to be a club member. Join today at support.baldmove.com. Get our full discussion of Furiosa and many more first-run films, plus tons of other bonus podcasts and ad-free feeds. Support.baldmove.com. Feedback. Fargo at baldmove.com is where you want to send feedback. We got three episodes left to go. Uh, three episodes to get your thoughts and theories into us. Uh, Fargo at baldmove.com. Here's the people that took us up on that proposition. Jeremiah starts off, said, in your discussion for episode seven, you mentioned that Loy using his belt to uh, whip this guy is an homage to Pootie Tang. Well, I'm sure this is true given the tie to Chris Rock. It's also a direct homage to the actual scene from Fargo, which... I was so proud of myself for being clever getting the Pootie Tang reference. I forgot that in the original film, 
Shep Proudfoot, the mechanic that connects Jerry with the kidnappers, tracks down Steve Buscemi's character and proceeds to physically whip him after the police chief comes to visit Shep at work. He like just whips Steve Buscemi like a dog because he's so pissed that this this shit has come back on him. Yeah, Uh, I I do not remember that, but. I'll take your word for yeah. it. That's in there. As soon as as soon as he said, as soon as I got to Shep Proudfoot, I'm like, fuck, of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's that's how this happened. So thanks for uh, pointing that out to me, Jeremiah. Isaac from North Carolina said regarding the show, I was surprised that there wasn't much discussion in episode seven when Marshall Deffy asked Wef if he's heard of the blood atonement when they're discussing raiding the Cannon Gang's headquarters. I mean, by no means an expert on Mormonism, but I do know that the blood atonement was a controversial practice in early Mormonism encouraged by Brigham Young, in which they believed that the atonement for Christ was uh, of Christ's own blood was insufficient for every sin, and that for particularly heinous sins, atonement required the shedding of the sinner's blood. A little Googling reveals that this practice was believed to contribute to the widespread violence surrounding the Mormon church uh, in the mid-1800s, including the Mountain Meadows Massacre of 1857. Not familiar with that. No. Um, I'm only I'm only familiar with uh, wild Mormon history through the lens of Be- <laughs> Beaver Island <laughs> right. and King Joseph Strang, uh-huh. which is an amazing Google if you want to check into it, by the way. Yes. Um, additionally, it's rumored that there was a vigilante group known as the Danites, uh, Dannyites, rather, that went about murdering apostates and dissidents from the church under the pretense of the blood atonement. Uh, finally, the practice of blood atonement had certain racial implications as Mormon church had many racist doctrines, such as the opposition to interracial marriage. The murder of black men who violated these doctrines uh, is believed to once again be inspired by the blood atonement. Relating this back to Fargo, I don't know what the exact implication is here, but I think it's quite telling that Deffy mentions blood atonement while he's thoughtfully considering what to do with the cannon gang. Is this supposed to be set up to set up some sort of righteous massacre where Deffy comes in guns blazing as opposed to first trying to arrest the gang members? We'll love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Pretty amazing prediction, if so, because that's kind of what happened. Um, There's some blood spilled. I I wonder... I mean the, the 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 plain reading in the in the morality tale I think is that Deffy had to play a, a pay a blood atonement for some of the shit that he's pulled. Sure. Um as his as in his time as a US marshal probably and maybe his official capacity in the church uh running out those Italian men like that that's the story it's like if you accept that these guys were mafioso coming to Salt Lake, Lake City to cause trouble then like maybe that's some community policing. But if these are just some random uh, Irish people out there to try to go West to make a better living, like so many Americans have done, then he's just a xenophobic racist murderer. Um, So what do you, you know, which, which is the correct answer? Like it is suspect that like every, I mean, that's, that's, that's like the old, the oldest Italian r- racism in the book. That like literally every guy with an Italian accent's down with the mafia. Sure, yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know, man. I mean, all this stuff strikes me as like things that people add on to uh, justify their own actions. You know, like sure. If, if if it's not racism, it's just it's even more petty than that. It's like somebody did me wrong and I've got this, you know, blood atonement doctrine that I can just throw out there and we can go fucking deal with it and then yeah. t- take some blood to make me feel better about some probably personal slight or something. I, 
Yeah, I don't we got know. A scripture for it, so God's cool with it too. So yeah, or like there's a scripture that I can vaguely interpret that way. It's it's like it really the the blood of the Son of God is not enough to to atone for this. Really, you got to go <laughs> get yeah get some inferior mortals blood too and right. mix it in. Like that's no 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 no. They they're not going to start doing uh the the sacrament or whatever and and have like oh you also have to like drink the blood of the person next to you. That's that's part of it too now. No, it's all, yeah. I don't know. It's all just people making up bullshit to justify their own actions or, or to meet their own ends. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's still going on. Like, I just watched, there's there pass around this new televangelist guy who's been getting some play because he's, he's crazy. And he was doing some ceremony where he pricked him and another deacon's thumb and they squeezed the blood in the cranberry juice cup and then they mixed it together and drank it for some shit. Like... I don't know. Like I said, I, I I'm a lapsed Christian, but I I understood the blood of Jesus was the perfect man shed on behalf of us all, covered all those sins. Like all you had to do is ask forgiveness and show faith in it. I don't know. I don't know. Again, <laughs> and, I, I I I'm a lapsed Christian. Maybe I got it all wrong, but I think anything say- extra to that is probably antichrist. I don't know. Um, but anyway, um. Thanks for that, Isaac. Let's move on to Jacob, who says, I think Mr. Snowman just may be death. It's another death theory for Mr. Mr. Snowman or the presence of death. He hangs death. out in a funeral home where I'd imagine the presence of death would be. He's in Swanee's business when she's on death's door. She's spotted by Zell. He's spotted by Zalmer just before some major carnage and death at Union Station. And again, just as Swanee dies. Also, Zalmer is obviously familiar with him, giving him the name of Mr. Snowman. Maybe she's accompanied, accustomed to being near death due to her high-risk lifestyle as an outlaw and fugitive. To be honest, I don't fully expect that we will have an answer by the end of the season or the show. That's probably a hot, correct take right there. Yeah. That we're not going to, like, you know, this is going to kind of be somewhat UFO-y, and it's just going to come out of nowhere. I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, it will all just be left wondering and speculating, and that totally works for me in the Fargo universe. I I agree with that. The one thing that I still think that nobody's really engaging with is the fact that this is tied to a family curse. Sure. Like, everyone's speculating about what the symbolism is and all that kind of... That's all well and good, but you got to incorporate into the fact that this is specific to Zelmer and and uh, Debril's, uh experience. Mm-hmm. Like, it's explicitly... That's canon. Like, it's it's it stalked them from... What, they go from, from Mississippi? Or... Uh, I, 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 I think... Th- yeah, so it's like I, th- I think it's like it's a little bit more specific than just a generalized personification of death, but but we'll see. A um, couple things I have to get off my chest. Um, this is a super popular opinion, but I love Gaetano and I've loved him since day one. I know he's ridiculous and crazy, um, but I still feel like it's a great fit. Okay, I, and I think I, I honestly I think I would agree with this interpretation. The only thing now after I've seen the first eight episodes is I just don't understand why I'm supposed to make of Zalmer and uh, uh, Swanee's rolling up shop of his. Mm-hmm. Like, I really don't understand. Like, if he had bossed up and he still gets taken captured because these are very, very terrifyingly adept women with guns. But I should have that that should have made both of their legends grow. Like, oh my yeah, god! Yeah. Like, look how badass Zalmer and Swanee are. And Gaetano was lucky to get out of his life, but any other person would have just been rolled up like a like a cheap blind. But he basically pissed himself, killed his own dude, and got taken without a without a struggle. Yeah, what the shit. 
No, I, I so. mean, there have been scenes that I've liked with Gaetano, certainly. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I haven't quite figured him out, uh, just like I haven't figured out Mr. Snowman. And like I said, I do like the, the Godfather analogy that you've got Sonny and you've got Fredo. You just don't have a Michael in his family. Uh, maybe Zero. Well, that would make sense because he's the baby, right? Zero sure. just isn't old enough. No, he's Zero's not. Zero's not old enough to be Michael Corleone. Uh, yeah. Damn, damn. <laughs> the, the, the old man shouldn't have waited so long yeah. uh, to, to have that follow-up. But it is kind of funny to see like this family flailing around with that a, a real snake uh, in the grass. Um, Jacob continues, as always, enjoys your coverage, although I have to say I'm totally Team Fishnado, UFO, Big Lebowski pur- Purgatory, and all the other things y'all have had problems with so far. Fair. Fair point. Fair point. I, I, although I love the Big Lebowski Purgatory. I, I like always, the Fishnado, I, I, so like, I feel like the only one yeah. we're unanimous on is the UFO. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bald Move stands together in condemning the UFO <laughs> plot of season two. Yeah, <laughs> we're and, and we joint statements. We do not stand with the rest of the internet apparently either. So, no, yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Um, so that's all the feedback we got. Although I will say that in the last few weeks we've gotten a steady trickle of what do you guys think about this Wizard of Oz theory? What do you guys think of this Wizard of Oz theory? Um, and I've always dismissed it because I'm like, nah. Nah, look, okay, they they name check Wizard of Oz and someone uh, said that the Gaetano is like a tornado blowing through town. Mm-hmm. Pretty thin shit. Yeah. Here's a point where you need to turn it off if you don't want any spoilers. I'm going to give you some time to turn it off if you don't want any uh, Wizard of Oz related spoilers. Um, I still think that this theory is f- way too much and it's way too, they're trying to make it what su- a subtext text. But to be fair, and uh, we're going to discuss this. This is a so this is this is a theory that has been had is has been prom, I, I guess promoted and conceived of on a on a, one of our uh, friendly competitors, uh, Fargo Talks Fargo podcast. Um, mm-hmm. For nothing but good things from them, uh, and people are really taking this this theory. But the theory is is like. Um, there's a lot of obvious parallels to the Wizard of Oz in this season. I didn't see them, but like they actually, you know, Thurman offered to read the Wizard of Oz to Ethel Rita on those front steps. They did talk about this tornado blowing through, um, but they essentially said, you know, Ethel Rita's Dorothy and uh, Thurman's Smutney is the Scarecrow and uh, uh, Detective Weff is, of course, the cowardly lion looking for his courage. And I don't know who the Tin Man is. I can't recall. Um, but but then then it all boils down to the Loy Cannon's the wizard. He's the man behind the curtain that's pulling the strings, and he's the. And I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of interesting, but there's very little predictive power other than all of the gang will have to eventually confront the wizard. Mm-hmm. Which it does seem like they're kind of all on the same side of the wizard right now. And whoever's and, the evil witch is going to get killed. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the other Mayflowers, the 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 wicked witch of the West. Um, there's like all these interesting interesting theories, um, and I'm like, okay, well, this maybe there's something there subtextual, but I'm I'm not seeing it. And also, like, I'm not big fans of theories that don't have any predictive power. Like, okay, A plus B plus C equals what? If you don't got the equals, then who cares? You know. Um, Maybe it'll be interesting spark notes essay, but it's it's not gonna it's not gonna help me get anything out of this. Then I see the preview for next week. It's an entirely black and white episode. Yeah. 
It takes place in Kansas. Remember, we're going well, to see. Uh, do we know it's an entirely black and white episode, or do we know that what they show us, which is all well, of a piece fair. of like a same as just one scene, I think, is black and white. Uh, is there more show to it? Something with with Nick Cannon going on, or not? Jesus Christ, <laughs> Lloyd Cannon's crew going on and Lemuel, and I don't know why they would be okay. in liberal Kansas because I'm assuming okay. that this is. Uh, you got Calamita going to liberal Kansas to track down. I, you know that that right. Mike the the Irish. That the the Rabbi Milligan is dumb enough to seek shelter at a feed store that he folded up and put in his personal Bible and left on his nightstand before he packed off. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, but we got we got we got a black and white episode where a tornado blows through Kansas. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fucking wizard Wizard of Ozzy. All right, hundred um, percent. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, maybe I need to go and listen to the Bone Up of My Fargo Talks Fargo podcasting. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should interview these guys. But, like, I, I, I don't know where it goes from here. I mean, I imagine it'll be a lot more clear next we- week. Like, is it going For to sure. turn into color at some point? But yeah. also, next week is called East West. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, we've got the, the one witches, wicked yeah. witch, perhaps. Like, where's the other one? I, I, I wonder. I, I do, like... Like I said, I'm I'm now open open my mind is open to what this Wizard of Oz theory might tell us. Um Yeah. I just don't know. Like like the predictive stuff, uh it didn't didn't seem very strong. That didn't seem the the theories. It's more of like, oh, look at all these cool parallels to um, you know, the the Wizard of Oz. Um but I didn't like I like Thurm like Thurmond um Smutney is just not enough of a character to be the scarecrow, you know? That's the thing. Like some of these I mean, look, the Wizard of Oz characters are archetypes, you know, they're they're broad, they're very, very, very fucking broad, and they can be laid over and mapped onto any number of characters you've seen in any show. The difference here being that they're very overtly going for a Wizard of Oz reference in this next episode, which surprised me, frankly. I was like, oh, well, if they're doing a Wizard of Oz thing, they're doing it from like the perspective of, oh, we, you know, it's a commentary on society, like the financial aspects of society, right? And like the, the gold standard and the the green cur- greenback current, whatever. It's like, look, I'm not a Wizard of Oz scholar either. And I know people have literally studied this movie, this film for years in film school it's it's a, a major watermark um for for cinema so i'm also not very equipped to uh to pick up on those things when they're there but man you just can't ignore it with the the preview for next week yeah and like i remember when we were covering a christmas story for our christmas coverage last year they talked about how big wizards uh wizard of oz was culturally at the time like that movie came out in 39. Yeah. This is just 11 years later. Like not a lot of movies this, came out wiz- back then. So, right. The Wizard of Oz is essentially Star Wars plus Harry Potter plus the Hunger Games trilogy. Like it, it's like it was this big thing that made this like big high water mark on, on, on American culture. And in the 50s, like that still being a thing, like the fact that like the extent to Harry Potter is still a thing and Star Wars is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Um and they are, you know, like that's 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 that. So like it is of a piece for this stuff to um 
And uh, hell, it might even be another Christmas trapping. Like, you know, hey, you remember all the fun little Wizard of Oz? If you watch a, a Christmas story, you'll see all the, like, allusions to the Wizard of Oz. His mm-hmm. teachers, the Wicked Witch, and they go into the mall, and his dad's going arm-in-arm with Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Lion, and, like, yeah. you know, they show up in the parade, like, it's a big deal, and... It might just be like, hey, this is also a Christmas tale and it's small town America and maybe we can just in the same way we've got a like a out of nowhere homage to this Brian De Palma film. We've got a, a little bit of an homage to Christmas story. But I don't know. Um I'll do my best to I, I'm, figure it out next week, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little now, nervous I'm about taking, it because I don't know enough about Wizard of Oz to give a definitive take. But yeah, we'll I'm see. now taking the Wizard of Oz theory somewhat seriously. I have sure. I have sat up straight, I've adjusted my tie and its presence, and I'm 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 ready to listen. Uh yeah. but we'll see how it goes. Uh that'll do it for us here on the Fargo Podcast. Uh until next time, uh when we're no longer in Kansas anymore. Um if uh you'd like to send in more feedback, it's easy to do so. Fargo at baldmove.com. You can also um if you want to discuss this Wizard of Oz theory with our fellow fans, go to our forums, forums.baldmove.com. There's a uh a Fargo thread there. Um and yeah, we'll be back next week for East West or West East. It's East West. Um and until then, I'm your host Aaron. Yeah, I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>